Welcome back to Explain MD. Today we're talking about kidney stones. This is a very detailed topic, so we'll take a bird's eye view of it. That being said, we'll still cover the major types of kidney stones, their causes and consequences, as well as how we diagnose kidney stones and how you may be able to prevent them. The four major types of kidney stones from most common to least common are calcium stones, ammonium magnesium phosphate stones, also called struvite stones, uric acid stones, and cysteine stones. I will go through each one of these in more detail so you can understand what these words actually are. Urinary stones in general form when minerals or crystals are in high concentrations in the urine, not when they're high in the blood necessarily. The key here is understanding that the mineral or crystal that makes a stone forms because of what is in your urinary tract, not what is in your bloodstream. When you have a lot of tiny crystals, but very little urine washing them quickly away down the urinary tract, they can stick together and solidify into stones. This will make more sense in a minute, but to prevent kidney stones in general means that you should work on staying well hydrated, maintaining a healthy weight, reducing salt in your diet, and avoiding sodas. And then many of these stones come with a specific dietary change that would help to reduce the risk of development. We said that the most common of kidney stones or urinary stones are calcium stones. There are two kinds of calcium stones that we'll discuss, calcium oxalate and calcium phosphate. Calcium oxalate stones are the more common of those two. What can cause calcium stones in general? Well, medical conditions that increase the amount of calcium in your blood to abnormal levels can also lead to increased calcium in your urine. When there is too much calcium in the urine, all of those particles of calcium can solidify together and create stones. This does not mean that drinking too much milk or yogurt means that you'll get kidney stones. Actually, it would be very difficult to raise the amount of calcium that gets absorbed into your bloodstream to such a high degree that it leads to more calcium spilling into your urine even, just from a diet that's high in dairy. What this usually is referring to is medical problems that increase the levels of calcium in your urine to an unsafe degree, things like cancer or certain medications. The kidneys are a filter and all the blood in the body goes through them at some point so that the kidneys can remove the toxic particles and throw the things that are bad for you out in your urine. But eating too much animal meat, for example, can lead to increased calcium spilling out into the urine during the filtering process inside of the kidney. Again, this would mean a lot of animal meat. It's not usually what we have in our diet, but eating an excess amount of animal meat is one example of something that can lead to increased calcium spilling out into the urine. With a lot of calcium buildup in the urine, and especially if you're dehydrated, these calcium crystals can get stuck together and solidify to create a stone. A lot of people think 
that they should decrease how much calcium they're taking in their diet in order to prevent calcium kidney stones. But that is usually not the answer, and it could, ironically, increase the risk of calcium kidney stones. Instead, people with calcium oxalate stones specifically should be focusing on reducing oxalate in their diet, which the kidney then filters out to create oxalate crystals in the urine. What are some oxalate-rich foods that you should be avoiding if you're one of those people with calcium oxalate stones? Well, some nuts and seeds are really high in oxalate. Chocolate, spinach, and sweet potatoes. Now, you do need some degree of oxalate, but reducing how much you're taking in your diet can reduce the risk of getting these types of stones specifically. Oxalate crystals can also form in the urine from taking too much vitamin C. The next stone is the ammonium magnesium phosphate. Those three words all together, ammonium magnesium phosphate stone. Now, for short, we're going to call this the struvite stone. That's S-T-R-U, V as in violin, I-T-E, struvite. Now, that is a proper medical term for it, so I, I'm not just making up these phrases. We can call this the struvite stone, and it will be absolutely correct. So struvite stones are typically the result of a UTI with a specific bacteria. Examples of those bacteria are Klebsiella and Proteus mirabilis. I'm just mentioning these names in case any of you out there have had UTIs with those specific bacteria. Once these stones form, they can cause complicated UTIs with those same bacteria. These stones also have a way of branching out like an oak tree or like antlers, and that's why they call them staghorn calculi. In this situation, staghorn is referring to that branching antler-like pattern of the stone, and calculi is the plural version of the word calculus, which basically means stone. The next stone we'll discuss is the uric acid stone. Uric acid being spelled U-R-I-C. Acid, A-C-I-D as in dog. Uric acid. Uric acid stones often occur in patients with high levels of uric acid in their blood. Uric acid may sound familiar to you because uric acid is also related to a higher risk of gout, which we'll discuss in another episode. To prevent uric acid stones, you want to cut down on animal protein in your diet. High levels of animal protein can lead to elevated amounts of calcium, uric acid, and cysteine in the urine thus predisposing us to getting kidney stones. And that will lead us to the last stone that we discussed today, the cysteine stone. Cysteine is spelled C-Y-S-T-I-N-E, cysteine stone. This is the least common of the major stones, but it happens most frequently in patients with a condition called cystinuria, where too much of the amino acid called cysteine is spilled into your urine. Now, given how relatively uncommon they are, having this kind of stone can indicate to you that you have a medical condition that maybe you didn't know about. Although having a kidney stone is an awful experience, having this kind of stone in particular may lead to a better understanding of your health, if it does ever happen to you, and I'll be hoping that it does not. These kinds of stones tend to be fairly large, and they often recur, so the preventative measures we discussed above 
like avoiding sodas, salt, too much animal protein, staying hydrated, etc., will help. But also, once you and your doctor discover what is putting all of the cysteine in your urine, rather too much cysteine in your urine, you may be able to make other adjustments in your lifestyle to reduce the production of cysteine stones going forward. So how do you find out what kind of stone you have? If you're able to collect the stone, whether that's in the hospital or at home, your doctor can get it sent to a lab that will analyze what it's made of. Once you know what it's made of, you'll know how to prevent it and you may learn something about your overall health. This is important not only for you, but also for your relatives in case the cause of these kidney stones is genetic. How are the stones diagnosed? They say there are three pains in this life that a person will never understand unless they have personally gone through them. The first is kidney stones. The second is childbirth. And the third one is medical school. Jokes aside, pain is probably the first symptom most people notice when they've developed a kidney stone. That may be a burning pain with urination, or more of an achy pulling pain in the pelvis, the abdomen, or the mid-lower back. Sometimes that pain in males can radiate down to the testes. This achy pain can occur with urination, or it could even occur at rest. Other common symptoms are blood in the urine, nausea, and vomiting. But when we talk about diagnosing kidney stones, we should make a mention of imaging studies as well. So when you go to your primary care doctor's office in urgent care or an ER with this horrible pain and they're trying to figure out if you have a kidney stone, chances are they will do at least one form of imaging. Sometimes that imaging is an x-ray. Now here's the tricky thing about x-rays and kidney stones. Not all kidney stones show up on the x-ray. Of the stones that we discussed, calcium stones, struvite stones, and cysteine stones should all be visible on an x-ray. Uric acid stones would be not visible on an x-ray. The picture would look like there is nothing there, and that's how a kidney stone can be missed. Sometimes we can still determine if there's a kidney stone if we're looking at the ureter and it looks wider than it would be, but we don't see any stones inside on an x-ray, we can reasonably guess there is a stone there and it might be a uric acid stone. But we do have alternative forms of imaging which can help us get a diagnosis a little more reliably. That includes CT scans and ultrasounds. Now, with any form of imaging, you have to remember Sometimes you just cannot get a good picture of the stone, no matter what that stone is made of. This can be as a result of the size of the stone, i.e. if it's too small, you may miss it. The radiologist may miss it when they're looking at the picture. Or it could be because of where exactly the stone is sitting. Maybe there's other organs in the way. Maybe there's a lot of gas in your belly and your intestines, and it's kind of muddying up the picture when we look at an x-ray or an ultrasound or a CT, it can be hard to see a stone with all of these other organ structures in the belly and in the back. But generally, an imaging study of any kind is paired with a urine study. The urine study can tell us if there's blood in the urine, it can tell us if there's bacteria in the urine, and it can also tell us if there's obvious crystals in the urine. 
crystals like calcium oxalate crystals. All of this information together, coupled with your symptoms of pain and nausea and vomiting, can help us diagnose a kidney stone reliably and therefore give you the proper treatment. Sometimes these stones can be fixed just with hydration, like by IV fluids and with pain control. What the IV fluids do is they literally make you pee a lot. And with increased urination, you are flushing out your urinary tract and you're kind of pushing the stone down your urinary tract. So the more flow you have of urine, the more flow you have of that liquid, the less likely that stone can stay stuck in place and also the less likely it becomes that the stone will get bigger or another stone can form. Other times these stones are kind of stuck in place. It could be because of where exactly they're stuck in the urinary tract. It could be because of their size. But when they're stuck in place like that, we often have to call in a urologist. A urologist is a specialist of the urinary tract. And what a urologist can help us do is get that stone out. Sometimes that means going in to put in a stent, which is like a small tube that you put inside of, for example, the ureter, to sort of stretch it out, make it wider, so that the stone can slip through. The stent stays in there for a while to make sure that you have good urinary flow and that further stones don't develop. Eventually, the urologist will go in and take out the stent as well. Sometimes even that's not enough. If a stone is really big, or if it's located in an area where a stent can't really fit, then another option is lithotripsy, which is where urologists use sound waves to break up the kidney stone so that it is fragmented into smaller pieces, and then those smaller pieces are more likely to drain through your urinary tract just with hydration, or then sometimes with a stent. And the last point that we'll make today is about why kidney stones are important to remove. Not only are kidney stones very painful, but they also block the passage of urine. The problem with blocking the passage of urine is that the backup of urine can be very dangerous. So let's say you have a kidney stone blocking the ureter, which is that tube that connects the kidney to the bladder. So the kidney is trying to push that urine down to the bladder. But if you have a stone blocking the passage of urine, that urine's just gonna get stuck like a traffic jam and it will start backing up into the kidney. Now the kidney doesn't have anywhere else to back up that urine, so it just gets swollen. When the kidney gets swollen, that's pretty painful and it's damaging to the kidney so that in the future, your kidneys may not work as well. Now, let's say somebody has a urinary tract infection as well, meaning they have bacteria floating around in their urine and they have a kidney stone. Well, if that kidney stone blocks all the passage of urine and you also have bacteria swimming around in that urine, the bacteria can just grow and multiply and cause an even worse infection. That bacterial infection in your urine can then spread to other organs. It can spread to your bloodstream and it can make you very, very sick. So this is why if we diagnose a kidney stone and we think it's too big to pass along on its own, then we do recommend that you get IV hydration at the very least or allow us to consult a urologist 
to help us with the case. Sometimes a kidney stone is small enough to pass on its own, even at home. Occasionally we'll tell people to go home and drink lots of water and we give them a little filter to put on their toilet to catch any stones as they come out. This is a case for a lot of people with small stones and it's usually successful. But if for some reason you can't get this kidney stone out and your pain is worsening or you're getting fevers, then please do let your doctor know. In case you're at a point that you need IV fluids, IV antibiotics for an infection, and help getting that stone out. This brings us to the end of our episode on kidney stones. Stay tuned for our next episode, and if you have any questions in the meanwhile, feel free to email us at explainmd22 at gmail.com. Stay safe, healthy, and strong. Sincerely yours, ExplainMD.